Welcome to the Three Kings Podcast, the one place where real men have real conversations, but from a kingdom point of view. With your hosts, Rob B. Free Badgett, Will Big Steel Wells, and Rob Resurrect Connolly. Sit back, tune in, and let the king speak. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Be Free. So, yeah, I know we don't normally intro the episodes like this, but I want to explain a few things real quick. First and foremost, we appreciate all the listeners so far for tuning in with us throughout the season. We are wrapping up this season, so stay tuned for so much more. Second thing is this. In this episode, we interviewed and had a conversation with Ricky Grant. So we'll call this episode the Ricky Grant episode but here's the thing we broke it down into two parts so it was so much of a conversation that we couldn't get it all in one episode so lock in and tune in to the part one of the ricky grant episode get that Peace. Next game of throws, but we didn't welcome time. welcome welcome <laughs> the monster yeah the three kings podcast real man season nine number season nine Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, season nine, we in. Conversation. Yeah. From a king's point of view. Are you a Game of Thrones fan? I'm a huge Game of Thrones. Really? So, yeah. what are your thoughts? About Why are you gonna ask them? I'm still on season it. one. What? You have to leave the room for at least twenty. Yeah. Get out, Mr. Conley. Get out, Mr. Conley. Please. What, what are your thoughts about? Have you seen? Are you caught up though? First I of all, I am current. You are current. So let me. Nice. I'm gonna say this so in a way that, that he doesn't account. He doesn't, he doesn't care. So my immediate thoughts after the last episode. Yes. Why do we ignore the things we see coming already? We we pretend like we don't see things coming. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If yeah. you were John, what would you have done? I think John was in a... So, so my frustration with John is that I think that John uses his loyalty as a way to not take responsibility. I agree. Leader. I think he actually hides behind loyalty. And there's people I know you, you're so loyal so that you never, ever have to make a tough decision and confront somebody that you actually love or are in relationship with. It. So I think there's a way where John is the most noble, but he's got a little bit of cowardice in him so on the low. I just think for the... So here's what I'll say. She had to die. Here's my thing. I understand Varys' logic. Varys is like, I'm here for the realm. The realm is the people, and right. it's bigger than any personality, any king, queen, and as a leader, that's, that's the type of that's the type of you gotta have, True. That, you gotta have that kind of perspective. Was not happy that Jamie went back for his uh, sister with Jamie their incestuous love affair. Word. Was disgusting and I sick. Think, I think they should have died better than what they did. What would you? I wanted I Arya to slice her throat. Better. That's yeah. what I was hoping for. That's what we were hoping for. Right. I was I was looking forward to that. Cersei got off Cersei got off way she too easy. She did. Romantic, intimate. Yeah, I didn't like that. Cersei got off way too easy. I didn't, I didn't like that. This is all from a kingdom point of view. All from a kingdom. Oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah, she should have sliced her throat. I'm with the king. I'm with the king. Yeah. Yeah, um, man. And we in the church. We have not guests. We have a special guest. Special guest. Today. Special guest. Uh, yeah. One of the things that we've said since the beginning of the podcast is that we have had some opportunities to just talk to random people. And mm. some people who kind of wanted to audition themselves. But we feel like, and we have felt like, we stood by, we only want to highlight people that we feel are voices that have uh, something important to say. That Absolutely. Life outside of the mic. Uh, brothers who are fathers, husbands, brothers who are leaders in their community, mm. not just dudes who just need a mic to, to sell something and to say something. Mm. And this brother, I've had the privilege of, well, we have had the privilege of 
watching this ministry time. for a long, long time, time. Mm. way back to the days of New Covenant. I saw Rich, the first time I saw him, it was just this dude, along with 90 other youth members, mm -hmm. and everywhere they came into, it was a ruckus. What? It yeah. was... Um, the, what, what was the name of the step? Alpha and Omega, Omega yeah. first. Omega. Then y'all changed it, right? Then we changed it to Chosen Few. Chosen mm -hmm. Few. Mm -hmm. But whenever they mm -hmm. came in, they knew. They knew. They listen. was the. They was the people. They was the. Listen, we got a whole list of. Uh, mm -hmm. If y'all want to book us to come to youth ministry, we got a six month waiting list. Yeah. <laughs> to come in the door. That's right. But that was life was, back. back. He, that was life back. And they and they had Tim's on hard. They came to Lincoln one time. What'd you say? They came to Lincoln. They once. did come to Lincoln. Yeah. PC, he preached like a three-hour sermon. He did preach a three-hour sermon. Preach a three-hour like, sermon. Okay. I remember that day. You, you like, do I remember that day. Like I do. Well, like you can stop. Actually, we're good. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> but right. Uh, shout yeah. out to PC. Yeah, Church of Providence. There you go. You know what I mean? But he was holding down a five-hour sermon. Nice. Passionate, doing urban ministry work, and he's gone on, planted a church out in Boston. Has traveled. Saw a lot of the ins and outs of ministry, some of the good things, some of the yeah. bad things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, father, uh, husband, welcome to the show, Mr. Ricky Grant. Back to the early days. Yeah. Man. This dude, how did you come to know God? Mm -hmm. And you just came out like mm -hmm. radical. Yeah. Like, what was that like? So yeah. it's funny because I think my yeah. personality already, I'm just wired a certain type of way. I think I'm I think um I can be a little aggressive, right? Mm. So, mm. and you're um, like six foot. And I'm, yeah, right. Mm. I'm six foot. I wish I was now. If I was six foot, that first question you asked me about Boston, yeah, we that's where we'd be right now. We'd yeah, be in Golden State or something. Um, <laughs> so in the beginning, man, um, I grew up in church. My parents were going to church, and um, and the gospel just it, it just didn't strike me. It didn't it didn't strike me while I was in church. I think I had a couple moments where I felt like, man, this is something that's impactful. I think when I was fourteen, fifteen. I started to get this sense that the Lord was trying to get my attention. It's really hard to describe. Had my first real girlfriend. Had lost my virginity at 14, 15. And, and while that was going on, I would, I would be with this girl, lead a girl. And every time I would leave her house, I'd be like, Lord, I'm sorry. But it was one of those like, mm, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm not. You know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, but, but at that same time, I knew the Lord was like, yo, this ain't it, bro. Mm -hmm. This is not it. And so ended up happening. Wasn't the, first, the first sister I dated was... Um, she was a real ghetto. She was a ghetto. You know what I'm saying? She was mm. super, 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 name? super, Shanae. super hood. Shanae from Martin. Mm -hmm. She was super hood. And um, and uh, so one day I'm at Ashmont, and uh, she ends up getting into a fight uh, with this other young lady. A whole bunch of Crips out there. Ends up getting real crazy. Anyways, these Crip dudes end up trying to jump me one day. And this is kind of this is this is after a sequence of a lot of bad decisions I had been making, and mm. knowing that the Lord was trying to get my attention. So after my Ashmont, this one day these six, seven, eight Crips cornered me. And the dude that was trying to flank me to my left, I had seen him two days up there before with a hammer, a mm. gun, for people mm -hmm. up there trying to shoot somebody. So I thought to myself, man, this dude all the way to my left got a hammer on him. There's six, seven dudes in front of me, and I'm not running. Mm. I'm not going to run. So I, this car pulled up behind me and was like, yo, 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 hop in, hop in. This, ne this never happens in Dorchester. This never happens in Boston where you're going to get jumped. Like, we live in a society now where you're going to get jumped and people are going to pull out phones. Yeah. Right, yo, that right. Dude, that dude said, yo, hop in. Hopping, and I grabbed my bag. These dudes took off running like an Old Testament scene. These dudes took off <laughs> flying. I don't even know who this dude is. I get into the car, and um, and he dropped me off down the street. And I got out the car. I said, "All right, Lord." I said, "Okay." I just knew that that was the Lord, mm. and I was I was 
I, I, I got saved. I, that was the day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the saved. next day. I broke up with the girl, and then started coming home from school, and worshiping God and praying, and, it's, and it began, and then wow. it just kind of began, and then mm-hmm. eventually it was um, joining the step team, and all that stuff just kind of started to happen, and the mm-hmm. Lord was just really faithful to me. Mm-hmm. You, know, so you, just, you didn't, you weren't originally a member of New Covenant. I was, I was, I grew up, I grew up all in New Covenant, but I wasn't, but I wasn't a practicing yeah. Christian. Right, right. I was just a kid that was going to church. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. Like the rest of us. Like the rest of us. That that mm-hmm. day though, that day was when I had my own personal encounter with the Lord and how He cared for me. Because mm-hmm. I knew He had been trying to get at me, um, but the way that whole thing played out, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I'm like, yo, that was you. And how did you end up becoming going from that to mm-hmm. one of the leaders in the church and now reaching back and snapping up these other bodies? Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things. I think one of it is good, one of it is not so good. I think one is. Um, I love I, I love the Lord, so I was I was at the church all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're up there all the time. You end up getting involved. I'm I'm sitting at worship practices that I'm not a part of. I just want to spend time in worship. Wow. Um, and then and then and then I remember when Jerome, I mean, shout out to Jerome Morgan. Uh, when, when Rowan had called me, um, like, yo, come join the step team. I was in. If it had mm-hmm. to do with Christ, I was like, yo, I'm 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 here for it. Like I'm really I'm. I'm you never stepped before that. I never stepped before, but I was an athlete though. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I just figured, but then it just that mm-hmm. wiring too, that mm-hmm. that, that wiring, mm-hmm. I just felt like I'm gonna just figure it out. Yeah. But but then the same way that y'all was looking, at, I was looking at them the same way. I was looking yeah. at Jerome and all them dudes. Like, yo, these dudes are cr- hell. Right. Mm-hmm. I could be a part of that. And um, and then um, and then I think the the not so good part is. I think once once people recognize, oh, he can speak. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in the church, right? Yeah, yeah. Or they're they're a gifted yeah. communicator or singer yeah. or whatever it is that's right. gonna make the show look old, mm-hmm. and then the doors open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, people want you to come speak. You go speak. on there yeah. already. So from yeah. fifteen, sixteen, I was I got saved. I mean, it happened so fast. I got saved. Then I was in church, then I was on the step team. Then you got preaching, ordained at 15 or 16 years old because mm-hmm. you were a good speaker. Now, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so that, that, no. started to, you that started to happen. No, because he wasn't married yet, so he couldn't be a deacon. And it wasn't even an ordination <laughs> thing. It's just, we can, you know, you can be used. Right, right, right. Would, would, you, would you say that anybody, like, really discipled you in that I'm gonna season? Give, I'm going to give credit to two people. Pastor Carl, mm-hmm. funny enough, who we teach you really. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 17... I was going to North Cambridge Catholic, and, and part of my senior year, we had to intern. Mm. And so I interned with PC, mm. and um, and that was when I got a chance to kind of see some, you know, just the paperwork part of ministry, the okay. the administrative part of ministry, mm. um, behind the scenes. And he really, um, PC was instrumental uh, for me. And then he was instrumental too, because my parents were mm. going through a divorce, and so PC was big. And then Jerome, mm. Jerome okay. was my big brother. That's uh, um, I would I would tell my mother like, Yo, mom, gonna be out this weekend, but I'm gonna be at Rome's crib, and that's mm. where I was. And so. Mm. Um, those two were the two who really, they was there for me. Yeah, no so doubt. You, did you become a, a youth minister at Newcastle at that time? Or you um, I eventually, I eventually officially became like the assistant youth pastor. Ah, um, probably it. when I was, I think I was 21 at the time mm-hmm. when that happened. Mm-hmm. So, I had so how did you years. feel in that? Um, I mean, it didn't last long. Really? It didn't last long. Yeah, it didn't last long. Um, so I felt good about it because I just had a passion to work with young people. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't last long because um, my now wife ended up getting pregnant before we was married. Right? So, <sighs> so she got right. So she got pregnant. So I had to go back. I had to go tell him. Ah, uh, he's a sinner. You know? Shut the mic you off, know? please. So, <laughs> I was going with Bishop. So first it was her parents. Uh-huh. Then it was my parents. I, mean, I, I had a, I had about six meetings I had to have within within 24 hours just to mm. let people know so that people weren't finding out outside yeah. of me. So yeah. she was she was she was in Hampton. She had came back to visit. We did what we did. She went back, came me like, yo, I'm late. Me and my man went, p- 
picked her up, came mm. back, got to her parents' house, and her parents was like, hey, you're home? Mm. Actually, we got to talk to you. So it was like that. So from there to there to, to go see Bishop, and eventually oh. I ended up getting sat down. So that oh, was, that wow. was, that was, that was, Mm. That was painful. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was that was that was that was painful. Yeah. That was a little painful. Now did you yeah. guys did you move to North Carolina? I was in North Carolina for a little while, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was in North Carolina for three years. Was you pastoring out there? I was you pastoring out there. <sighs> yeah. So so ended up happening was uh Shannon and I got married and I got a call from uh from Michael Thompson. That's Bishop's yeah, youngest. Yeah, yeah. Right, That's right. my man. We about the same age. Yeah. He's about yeah, our right. age. Mm -hmm. And uh and Andy had called Mike, like, yo, Mike, I need a youth pastor, and Mike was like, Andy, it's ready. Mm. And Andy called me and I went down. Oh, you went to Andy Church. Yep. Got yep. it, got it, got it. We went down mm -hmm. and I was out there for, for three years and it was dope. Mm. It was now dope. when you came mm -hmm. back here, is yep. that when you started the church plant? Uh uh. Mm, I came back, uh came back, um, Sharon and I finished school at Northeastern. Um, that's when we finished school at Northeastern. Uh, we was in Rhode Island for a while, uh, okay. working with this organization, Boys Town, New England. Okay. So we, we were living in this therapeutic family home uh, with seven to eight adjudicated young dudes yeah. um, who should have been serving time in DYF, but because of, the, because of the state, they were able to serve it at a treatment home. Sure. Mm -hmm. And we was able to work with them on just therapeutic stuff, mm -hmm. skills, all that type of stuff, all the stuff we had been doing, but now they're living with us. Mm -hmm. Right, so we had this um, this home, and we had a little apartment in the back of it, but all, the guys live with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in the middle of the night, when mm -hmm. you hear the bing thing going on, because they're running out there, when I'm coming out, like, yo, fellas, you know, so we did that for about two and a half years. Probably was the most difficult thing I had ever done because they had all been through so much. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, these weren't young people that were responding to love normally. So you, your wife, and your... It was me, my wife, and we, we had our two little girls with us. And so we was all there with seven mm -hmm. young dudes, 18 to 13. Yeah. Uh, but those are my sons. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those are my kids. That was the most difficult okay. thing? Sound like everything you did was difficult, brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was the most difficult because yeah. it was constant. There mm -hmm. was no nine mm -hmm. to five. You know, mm -hmm. if they had issues at school, mm -hmm. I'm going up to the school. If they had issues on their visit when they went yeah. home, yeah. I got to drive to Providence from Port Hills mm -hmm. to... Um, if you have having issues in the house, obviously, I'm booming. And, and, and then, because that was Sharon's first time mm -hmm. kind of working in mm -hmm. that field, I mm -hmm. took the onus of all the relationship stuff. Mm -hmm. She kind of handled all the paperwork stuff, which mm -hmm. was a lot. You're talking about eight kids, mm -hmm. and you're talking about separate files for each one. It was sure. plus medication, plus it was a lot. Yep, yep, yep. But, but I took the onus in terms <coughs> of the relational piece mm -hmm. and building with them and talking with them and all of that. And so it was just hard because they just... You would love it. You give every. You give. You feel like I'm giving this kid everything I got. Yeah, yeah. And then an hour later, they do something that's equivalent to spitting in your face. You right, know what I'm saying? Right, you just like, right, and then, right. and then you can't respond. Right. You can't respond with that same energy. Right. And that's the other hard part. Mm. You can't just do what you want to do or respond how you want to respond. And that part was hard for me um, because you just you just get to a point where you're like, you know what? You think you're a tough guy. Let me show you something. But thank God I, I never went. It through. seems mm. like mm. so. Just from the introduction of what you're saying. It went from this transformation right into activation. Yeah. Where yeah. It, it, it was go, go, go. Go, go, go. But sometimes yeah. it can be very hazardous to our own health. It was hazardous for me. You know what I mean? A lot of times, yeah. Um, what were some of the experiences that you learned from that? Like looking back, just before you, you know, transition into like full adulthood, because yeah. we ain't no full adults until so, we. Uh, this you so, know what so, I mean? so now let's jump into something. Mm -hmm. So this is my thing. And I think I, I look back at my life, and I uh, and I think a lot of times, like I, I I love to take responsibility for my decisions because I just feel like you're not grown if you don't do that. However, at the same time, when I look at when I look at how the church was structuring how they was helping people to grow, mm. 
a lot of it, man, was just unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I took the Jesus thing to the knot. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so when preachers was talking about go get people saved, I didn't know another teenager in the world that was on it like me. Mm-hmm. I was in academy homes, in the projects, on the trolleys, on the buses, on the trains, like every. Yo, outside of whatever my inconsistencies were, that Jesus thing to me was real. But I think what I, the other thing it did too is that when you're 15, 16, 17, 18, you're carrying the weight of the world that if I don't get this, if I don't give the gospel to this person and they could potentially go to hell. Like when I look back at that now, yeah. I'm like, yo, that type of that type of pressure that we're handing to immature believers, right, right, right. young people, right. is crazy. And for the people that's taking it serious, mm-hmm. what it can do to you is you stop focusing on you. Mm-hmm. You stop being concerned about the things that you need to be concerned. I was a kid, right, and my right. parents was divorcing. There was right. a lot of things that I needed to figure out as a 17-year-old. Right. When am I going to go to college? What's right. my life going to be about? Mm-hmm. Now, my entire life mm-hmm. was about ministry. My entire life was about, and the only reason I did anything in school is because I wanted to hoop. And by that time, I was with Sharon. And, and I knew I eventually wanted to marry her. I couldn't be a bum. Outside of that, the, the only aspiration I had was, you know, establish the kingdom. Mm. And so I think, you know, and this is probably going to be a little bit controversial coming from somebody who's a pastor and a believer, but I just feel like, yo, as, as leaders and as people who are going to be standing in front of the pulpit, mm. the things that we say, the things that we imply, <coughs> people mm. trust those people. Mm. And I, t- I remember one time on... Um, I mean, one time Bishop Thompson had said, um, I'll give you an example of how I was as a kid. I was 16, I'm in service, and Bishop Thompson's talking about the passage where Peter and them fall asleep mm-hmm. while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, yep. mm-hmm. right? Preachers love to reference that. And Jesus said, yo, can you not pray with me one hour? Right. That essentially became a doctrine in our church about prayer for an hour, mm. right? Now, other teenagers probably didn't care to even try, but me? Not because of Bishop, yo, this love I had for the Lord, and I trust that dude, Mm -hmm. I should be praying for an hour. Mm -hmm. That's how I was on it. So now I'm going home every day at 16, trying to pray for an hour. But the days when I couldn't do it, when I didn't have an hour, you felt felt bad. Yo, Rob, three kings, I would leave leave the presence of the Lord sometimes feeling worse Mm -hmm. than when I went in because the framework that I was operating under was... Mm -hmm. Yo, can you not pray one hour? So, so there was, so, so there were things that, mm-hmm. that were, were. Sometimes, sometimes implicitly said that I took to the heart because right. I was picking up on them things as a kid. Right. Sure. And when I couldn't do it, when I couldn't reach it, that mm-hmm. that started to take a toll on. So me. let me ask you a question, man. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you you talked about you know the stuff that you went to early on, in uh you know at New Covenant yeah. and um you know having a child before you got married, um, going through that, going through the group home stuff, you know, had a church, yeah. lost a church, yep. all that stuff. And you referenced, the, you know, how the, how the interaction that you had with the people and the church leaders. But as far as you and God, did you feel like God was playing a trick on you? Did you feel like he was not there? Or was your faith ever wandered? How did you feel? How, would you, how was you and God? I would say my biggest frustration with God has been why wasn't I more like you? My biggest issue with God has always been, <coughs> why my sanctification taking so slow? Mm. My biggest issue with God has always been, 
like the, the prayer that I've consistently prayed oh, all these years that I've been saying, I pray it over my kids every day, is, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Like, in my estimation, there is not a greater prayer you can pray. Right? Like, Lord, fill me with your spirit so I know you. Fred Hammond does, remember, you know that Fred Hammond song, he says, give me a clean heart yeah, so yeah. that I'll serve you? Yeah. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Like, mm-hmm. I know what's in here. Mm-hmm. So constantly, in continuous. So times when I failed, mm-hmm. times when I failed and hurt people and disappointed mm-hmm. people and disappointed myself, those were extremely difficult times to get past because I thought to myself, Lord, in terms of personal, private devotion, what more could I have done? Mm-hmm. Like, I had that mm-hmm. life. I wasn't one of these people that was preaching and didn't pray, preaching and didn't study. Mm-hmm. People was asking me, Rick, did you go to Bible college? And I never had because at 16, 17, I had commentaries. I had theology books. I, I was already there. So when I was failing, in ways, big ways that I failed, public mm-hmm. ways that I failed. Mm-hmm. I just, I, that was where, that was where I struggled. That was where it wasn't that I didn't feel like God was there, but I just felt like it's like the psalmist in Psalm 13 when David is like, "Yo, where are you? <coughs> where are you? Mm-hmm. Don't you see right. me? Don't you see what's happening?" I felt like David. I felt like how you feel, but I keel failing. How you feel now, looking back, because like we know that. God has a plan for everything. Yeah. How do you feel now looking back saying, okay, God, what was the purpose of this? How do you feel now? So I think, I think the thing that I've learned is it's not my responsibility to save the world. Mm. Um, it's not my responsibility to save the world. What do you mean by that? That's just me, just yeah, and it's loaded, right? I just, yeah. just meaning that I was, the pers- yeah, I was the person that if anybody in proximity to me had an issue, I was going to be there. Mm. No, it makes sense. Per- makes sense. Period. That's just how I was raised, and it's how I'm wired. When I took that personality test years ago, it came back as a guardian. So I'm very, very much like, if these are my people, these are my people. Mm-hmm. And so once these are my people, and I've identified that these are my people, I'm riding for them. Mm-hmm. And there have been times when I needed to, to step back. Mm-hmm. I needed to not get involved in that situation because God wasn't even calling me to that situation. Right, but but this but this this love for people, and then when I was doing the church, mm-hmm. just trying to live out community, <coughs> like mm-hmm. trying to live out community. And so, I think um, I think I had some. I just think I had blind spots. Mm-hmm. I think I had blind spots. Yep. I think I didn't. I think I think I wasn't um, as careful um, as I needed to be. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I learned, um, you know, because all of us we got married young, yep. right? Yep. And one of the things that um, I think personally I struggled with first marriage was I didn't understand the importance of balance. Like mm. we'll say the term, you know, God first, family second, and then, you know, ministry, blah, blah, blah. That sounds good in theory, but in reality, you think that you're spending time with your family because your family's thrown into ministry. So we're still meeting the needs of our spouse or our children. Yeah. And I remember it was one time, you know, it was after I had gotten divorced, and I was like, you know, hanging, playing with my son or something. He was like maybe eight or something at the time. And I had smelled his hair, right? And it was like an awakening moment for me because I didn't, couldn't remember another time that I remembered his scent. Why? And I was just like, no, I actually stopped long enough to smell mm. and absorb the wow. moment. Why? Because I had been missing so many moments. But you, we don't realize that because we talked about in several cases where, you know, as a man, we have so many levels of responsibility. Why? Now you add on to that the, the responsibility that we have to the flock quote unquote, uh, outside of our house, you don't often miss the reality of you're not in balance. 
it's okay if you're not available right now. And mm -hmm. then let if you have a wife in ministry, sometimes she jumps right in there with you and you just start to neglect each other and and it just doesn't work well. And I feel like for me, one of the things that I struggled with the most was the area of balance mm. and being available <coughs> to my first home, my ministry, my mm. family, my children. And I recently said something like, look, some days we might be at church, some days we might go on a picnic, mm. right. right? And it's yeah. okay. Right. I think one of the things as leaders, we find that people need to understand, one, we are not God, and two, we don't know everything. Right. But the problem is, is do we believe that? Because one thing is, is, is leaders, as pastors, it's very, you can stuff. get boxed in to feel mm -hmm. like I have to have an answer for everything. Like, because the weight of the world, like you said, is, 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 is waiting at your door. You know, Rob gets a text from his uh, godson asking astronomical questions about faith, life, religion, understanding. But he knows nothing, right? He, so you're like, well, you know what, Darius, I'm going to just mute that for right now. I'll get back to you. No, he, he responds it. But of what course. happens when it's 999 right. Darius's, you know, so can you talk about a little bit? Can I just ask, can I just add something real quick before you continue, please? I think um, one of the common things we all share and then have in common is being youth ministers back in the day, yeah. we were shouldered and in in carrying that burden of doing everything on our own. Yeah. Like we had our pastors who may have mentored us or talked to yeah. us, but pretty much we were doing things by ourselves. Yep. Yep. And so we get to that point <coughs> where we feel like we have to do everything. Yep. We have to save every kid. Yep. We have to be available every time, every moment. My little brother you know what I mean? Right you know what I mean? Yep. And, but, yep. and that's, but that's part of the process. You know, at right. first, you're going to feel that way. But when you have a family, like with me, I struggled with trying to find that balance when I got married and I had my, and, um, and um, having Jalen and my kids and stuff like that. But mm. I think with, what we had to do was uh, once my wife joined me, yeah. we found a common denominator and in, in, in working together and figuring right. out that she can do this part of the ministry right. and I can just focus on that. And so right. that way it freed up my time right. and allowed me to do more things in right. the ministry. You know what I mean? Can I say one thing, Rob? Sure. Here's the thing, too, though. And I think that... Um, you go ahead. I just lost my train of thought. Go ahead. Well, now I was just going to say that um, William hit it right on the head and... Your story reminds me of a lot of what we went through and reminds me of um, John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. Because your, your ministry was not common to the church. And the, and the funny part is, it should have been. Right, right, right. It should have been common to the church because right. you were, you, you say radical, but really you weren't doing anything that was different That's than what, Jesus. you know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because they weren't used to it, they didn't know how. To, that's why I asked you who discipled you because they don't. They didn't fully and no, no, no dig to and um to and PC. And what's funny about PC and Jerome is that those were the dudes that was bringing me into the lockup. Right. Because they was going. Right. PC and Jerome was going into the DYS. So when I was going to the DYS mm -hmm. doing Bible studies, yeah. I was going with them. Yeah. They, they was the one that was that had introduced mm -hmm. me to that. But you needed. I think you know you needed more than that because but, then you was on an island by yourself now dealing with all this. But you know what though? But there's, mm -hmm. there's something that's bigger though, and I think I think I think I think it's hard to have this conversation without talking about the structure of church. Mm. Right. Like I don't think you can have this conversation. It's almost like it's almost like if you look at Trump. And if you if you take Trump and you and you make Trump independent from a system, you would think that Trump is the worst. No, I see what you're but, saying. But, but but only only when we see Trump in light of the system that allows him to do what he's doing, do we understand mm. that we got a real systemic problem, right? Mm. So in the church, right. it's almost like the issues that we're talking about, mm. that's where they're bred. No doubt, no doubt. Mm. They're, no doubt. They're, they're, they're bred there. And I'm going to tell you why. Just think about it as a youth mm. minister, right? Mm. I, we're all old enough now to understand that. 
the young people that we serve, their issues aren't only spiritual. Mm -hmm. Right. Correct. Right. If Absolutely. their issues were only spiritual, That's the only we equipment thought, we would need, the only yeah. equipment we would need is the gospel. That's mm -hmm. it. But these kids have trauma, social issues, poverty, economic issues. And the thing that I realize now, as I look back, part of the reason why we felt so burdened was because our churches, a lot of them, was not even thinking on a legislative, policy, social, economic level. And I'm not talking about mm -hmm. economic, God's a genie in the bottle, rubber really good, he's going to give you what you want. No, 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 no. I'm saying, you live in America in this world as a brown person. I'm trying to think of the conversations that were had when I was in church about what it was to be a black person in this social context and what that meant. Everything was spiritual. And so there were dynamics that we ran into that were, this is not a spiritual issue. This is a home issue. This is an economic issue. This is a poverty issue. And as young ministers who had no budget, so you're running around trying to answer problems that you don't, one, you haven't even identified the root of the problem, and mm -hmm. two, you don't have the, the, the adequate resources. Mm -hmm. Now, now all of us are mm -hmm. still very much connected to the young people we serve, so the right. gospel is so ill mm -hmm. that even when our churches was ill-equipped, I don't even blame the church, because even our local churches are dealing with poverty. We are brown people. We, mm -hmm. we are, you know, mm -hmm. we're part, unfortunately, for a long time in this country, we've been a part of the bottom of the social order. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have money. I'm not, I'm not blaming the local churches. I'm just saying, I feel like the way that we set people up mm -hmm. is that if our churches don't have certain things in place or have relationships mm -hmm. with certain community entities in place where we can send people because that's what they that's what their expertise is and let us do what we do right we start to create a, a, a paradigm where people are going to fail right because we're asking people to fix issues that politicians are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for a year and they ain't figured it out. Yeah, because the system is broken. It's broken. Broken. And, so and, and our system too, though. But we're not connecting to the resources either. I don't want to get into the church thing because I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways that the church is structured mm -hmm. that we just need to rethink. No doubt. Sure. But from your point of view, how would you how would you explain how God wanted us to react, like getting into like the book of Acts now? We are the church. We're now coming into the scene. Because before I would say it's like, that's how I was answering all the questions. Like, yeah, it's just slap the Bible, slap the Bible on them. Now I look at it like the answer is you need therapy, right? But how I apply how, how therapy I, I, yeah, is through my, through my relationship with God because there's things in that, right? So what part does the church play and how do you think we should? So, so here's the thing, though, right? So when Paul's traveling the most dangerous terrain in the Roman Empire to bring people the gospel, mm -hmm. There are a plethora of spirit, there's a plethora of social issues going on. A right. plethora. Right. But what he decided to do was just to stay in his lane, right? He just stayed in his lane. So, and again, Paul was older than us. He was a very educated, he was educated, so he mm. understood the world that he was mm. living in. We started right. doing ministry even before we conceived True. the world that we live in. Right. True. And so I think that we, I, I, don't, I don't think the way we responded is bad. I think that, I think that our, there are systems of church um, <clears throat> that we're not careful enough to make sure people get disciples, mm -hmm. that we're not careful enough to make sure we're not burning out our mm -hmm. good soldiers. Mm -hmm. I'm talking with my brother right now. He's a part of the ministry. I think the ministry is awesome. Boston Project Ministries. And, and him and I used to pray, like, man, I'm carrying it. But, you know, we, I was talking with him the other day, and he's stressed out, and there's all these kids. And I said, I just had to say, bro, pause. Number one, you're not their savior. Mm -hmm. I tell people, 
right? And I got this from my man, um, uh, Conan Harris, Ayana, um, you know, uh, U.S. rep Ayana's um, husband. And he, he, he said this a lot. He said, he said, he says, young people don't need saviors; they need believers. I, but but the mm. but the but the but the way that I received the gospel, okay. the way that I heard it, made me think I gotta save them. And so I put right, what right, I realized right. was, yo, Lord, I, the way that me and the Lord's relationship got back on was I was saying, Lord, it wasn't you putting that on me, but the way that I was receiving it, the way that I was interpreting it, I put that on me. Now, mm. are we still supposed to be out there? Yes, we're supposed to be out there. But as a kid, I need a balance, mm -hmm. and I didn't so have it. when when did the, when did you? have a moment when you said, okay, this is my awakening. How I've been perceiving things, how I've been doing things, I don't feel as though this is working, by and large, for me. This is not working for my family. This is not working for what I want to plant, pull, and piece together. At what point did you shift and say, all right, I need to rethink some things? It's been, it was a journey. I think it was a lot of moments. I had so many moments, man. So many moments when I said, I don't agree with that no more. I don't look at that like that no more. I don't, when I launched Rescue, Rescue was my expression of what I thought the gospel was really supposed to be about. Mm. I was 30 years old. and Were I had you still going with the mindset, I'm out here about to save everybody? When you I, still, I still had it. My theology had changed a lot, but that core thing was still there, and I didn't know it, mm. but it was still there and it was dangerous. But my theology had changed so much, and the emphasis of what I believed had changed. Like Jesus, Jesus, the Trinity, all, I mean, all the base, like, that was still there, but in terms of what are we going to emphasize? That changed for me, right? right? right. Hierarchical pastorship. I mm. no longer was going to emphasize. Right. This, this, this. The way that we, that that the the sneaky way we do money, mm. where where we where we take Malachi three and Second Corinthians eight and we merge them together to make it seem like it's coming from the same text and it's not. Mm -hmm. So we we'll say God doesn't like a cheerful giver. He's gonna he's gonna send a canker worm to take it himself. You don't give in the storehouse, but he loves a cheerful giver and give what you have to give. Them is two separate passages. Ain't mm -hmm. the same. Right. I remember writing an article about that <laughs> and calling bishops and pastors and saying. The way, not tithing, the way you're going about is rather than just being honest with people, mm -hmm. you are doing this thing where you're trying. And, yeah, and when I was having a one on one conversation with Pastor, you know what they were telling me, Rick, you're right. Mm -hmm. But we got to give people a barometer. Mm -hmm. I said, so hold on a second. No. Because I knew, I talked, yo, Rob, I talked to brothers mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. had left the church. One of my mm -hmm. mans, mm -hmm. he had left the church because he was like, Rick, I couldn't do the 10%. Mm -hmm. Anyways, mm -hmm. I, when I launched Rescue, that was my expression, and I think I think there was a lot of awakening al along the way. But the biggest one is when I failed at Rescue. Mm -hmm. When I lost Rescue, and I put my marriage in jeopardy and got myself into that situation, and and I think what I realized is that even as I was doing Rescue, um, first of all, I'm a sinner saved by grace, right? So I have sinful impulses, period. So let me not try to make it seem like oh I was just uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm I'm a sinner saved by grace. Mm -hmm. Boom. So whatever I got myself into, I got myself into it because I got myself into it. Boom. However, when I look at the when I look at the context mm -hmm. of, of what I put myself in, bro, my wife had asked me six months before I had stepped down. She had asked me, she said, Are you depressed? It was the first time I've been with her some fifteen. The first time in the twenty years that she had ever asked me that ever. My preach my sermons were getting shorter. I didn't want to go to leadership meetings. There was something about church that was missing for me. And I, I know what it is now. Bro, we was doing everything. We was in the community. We was even giving. We was even giving five percent of our budget to mm. to 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 um, the Boston Project Ministry, the organization that was out there in the community. We had adopted Thirteenth Street, all of that. Mm. Yo, but this is what bothered me, and it was yo, we making no change on a systemic level, on a policy level, 
on a legislative level. Now, I have the knowledge base now to even communicate this. At the time when I was doing rescued, I couldn't, I just knew something's missing because the quality of life of these brothers and sisters that are coming here, it's not improving. And I, and not, and not to, and not to listen, and not to say that just because you come to Christ, your life's, uh, nah. But there was something that was more than just giving you a good message, sending you to community group, and then, and then doing a peace walk in the community. And that was dope, but it wasn't enough. And so, mm -hmm. had I, had I understood now what I, had I understood then what I understand now, there'd have been a lot more legislative stuff. And I just would have pulled back. Like, the other thing too is, I passed it my friends. That was a mistake. For me, it was a mistake because of how because I run into everything. So now these are my friends, and I never really felt like their pastor. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of things I think, like psychologically, that I just didn't embrace. And had I embraced it, it would have caused me to have the level of the, the distance I needed to have the balance. But I didn't because even people would like introduce me to people. This is my pastor. One time I realized it was a problem. It was like this is my pastor. And I'm like. Oh, oh, oh. And then after the, the sister came back and was like, Rick, like I'm introducing you to people. I'm saying you're my pastor, and you're like, no, mm. because the, be, because because what I had seen from pastor was always the cardinal. Mm. Right. I didn't want that. I didn't want people to think I was better than them because I didn't feel like I was. It's interesting. We uh, we recently had um, uh, we had Dave Capozzi on, Pastor Dave Capozzi. He's El. Dave's El. He's a soldier. And that was the first time I really had a chance to have a full conversation. And he. <laughs> He, the thing that I like about Dave is that Dave is comfortable being Dave. Yeah. And he recognizes that I'm a different guy. And I'm okay with the fact that I'm different. Yeah. And my church is different. And he says something. He's like, listen, because of our stance and how we position ourselves, we'll never be large. And I'm okay with that. And he was like, mm. I'm okay that, you know, I'll send them over to Restoration or I'll send them mm. over to Mount Moriah. He's like, if that's what they're looking for, right. then that's what that's what they'll get. Mm -hmm. But here's here's my conviction. Mm -hmm. Here's my charge. And he's he's very socially active and social very. justice. But I asked mm -hmm. him, I was like, you know, why go the pastoring route? You know, mm -hmm. why not go the activist route or the community liaison? And he was like, because there is no greater message than the message of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. How do you say okay? I understand what I'm trying to do as far as this is our section, right? But I also understand at the end of the day, I still want people to get to Jesus. How do you balance between your personal convictions and still this great commission? Just in terms of in terms of like, like your approach to now ministry, mm -hmm. reaching people, mm -hmm. hitting the masses, mm -hmm. right? Like how do you set it somewhat set this is my road? This is where I'm going to go. We can't get everybody, right? Right, man. So I think, I think, so my failures helped me because it reminded me that I was human and it reminded me that I had limited capacity and it made it easier for me to say, I can't do those 10 things, but I can do this one thing really well yeah. to the glory of God. And, um, and I think that that's, that's kind of the, that, that's the philosophy I've adopted to just, mm -hmm. to just try to be faithful with that with which God has given me. And first and foremost, like you said earlier, is my wife and my kids. Yeah. Like I can never allow myself ever again to, to be in an emotional space where I'm so distraught mm -hmm. that I'm making decisions without even considering them. Like that, mm -hmm. I, I look back at that and I'm like, in the name of God? Mm -hmm. In the name of ministry? In the name of 
of of doing good. No, no, no. Something about that is off. And that, that that was the thing that when I look back, I'm like, wait, so mm. and the funny thing is when I had started wrestling, I'm like, Lord, just don't let me lose you or my family. That's the mm. first prayer. When I said so the Lord gave me the green light to launch, I said, Lord, in the process, don't let me lose my wife, don't let me lose you. Mm. And both was in jeopardy. You know, Rick, I want to tell you, um, I, I felt like I was blessed by God when our relationship it, you know, had gotten a little bit closer when you, um, you know, had lost the church yeah. and everything like that. Um, I don't know. It's just so weird. Sometimes like God would just put somebody on my heart and be like, mm. yo, this person is going through. And we kind of like were acquaintances before. Yeah. And then it was like, yo, I'm going to reach out to this brother because your pain was coming through, uh, through your smile, through just some conversations on, on Facebook, whatever, and I was just like, yo, I want to reach out, and I just felt blessed that I had the opportunity to be a brother in Christ at a time when I felt like you really needed a brother in Christ, yeah. you know, and uh, and I think it was, the air was too thick in Boston, yeah. and then you came out this way, so, yeah. you know, I, you might have thought, like, maybe Pastor Manny and I did something for you, but you did something for me, just give me the opportunity to just like, yo, I want to, I, I was like, I don't know where he's at with Christian Brothers right now, yeah. but I want to show him somebody who's like, yo, listen, I don't, I, I do care what you did, but I don't care to the point where I'm like, yo, I'm going to, you know, cut you off. Bro, you reached out, and how quick I reached back. Yeah, quick. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately, I needed it. It was that, that space, uh, 2017, 2018, dark. Mm-hmm. I think for dark. me, like, I don't know every aspect of your uh, personal appreciated about you is just you you your your core and your desire to I need to figure out how I'm gonna still stay with God. Like I don't think that's ever been hidden. Like no what no matter what I go through, we gonna figure this out. Me and him are gonna figure this thing out. And it radiates. You I know, can't function without Jesus. But uh, it, it, it radiates. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that we've all had moments where it's like, yeah, I don't know if I can do it in capacity. You know what I mean? Like I don't like, we've always talked about levels of leadership and pastoring yeah. and all mm. these different kinds of things. And it, it, as far as the leaders go, it's like, you can be a leader in any other capacity in the world, but as soon as you take on a, well, I'm this, or I'm a pastor, it's just like all hell breaks loose and all these levels it's of literally what happens. But, Rob, you see, Rob, it's my thing. <clears throat> and I think what I should have done, uh, looking back now, and I never would have done it based on who I was, mm-hmm. but what I should have done was say was say, <clears throat> you know what? I need to step down before craziness. Like I, like once my wife was like, yo, that should have been an alarm enough for me to be like, I really need to assess where I am. Um, but like you said, with with ministry, you see these articles come out like every week about another pastor who's committing suicide. Right. It ain't that these dudes ain't spiritual enough. It ain't that right. they're not saved enough. Right. It is, um, pastoring is, um, it can be it, it, just like any kind of public servant. It's it, stressful. It can, be, it can be stressful. It can be thankless. And if you don't structure your life in such a way where you're away from it, like, it ends at five. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm done with it. Um, it'll consume you. Because, because, mm-hmm. because here's the thing. I had a church. It was 200 people coming. So with 200 people, at any point, someone dies, miscarriage, anything. Right. When we launched a church, I launched a church, I had launched a church, and my dad was still alive. Mm. That, was, that was September 2013. By November, he was gone. Mm. He died. Mm. I couldn't stop. I couldn't pause. Mm. I couldn't say, hey, let me go and grieve, and let me not be here. Mm. 
So you know what I did? What I do, I continue. Mm. In the name of whatever noble cause I sought, I ignored me. Mm. And I put everybody before me. Right. Everybody. Right. Everybody. When he was in a coma in the hospital, I was preaching that Sunday. Mm. I went to the hospital when he died that Monday. I preached again that Sunday mm. and kept going because the framework I was operating out of was this is, I don't want to swear, that's crazy. Crazy, and I'm thinking, this is, I'm I'm doing something good. It's almost like mm-hmm. I remember when um, it's crazy. I always think about this when Moses finally runs back into Jethro. So he runs into Jethro when he first runs away, right? His father-in-law goes does his thing. Yep. And when he comes, when he when when he sees Jethro again, mm-hmm. after all the people are out of Egypt, this yeah. is what he tells Jethro. He's like, Yo, Jethro, Yo, Jethro. I got the people right, talking to them right, all the time. Right. I'm doing my thing. Moses' whole perspective was whenever he was, however frequently he was interacting with them people, Moses thought, mm. this is it. I'm doing it. And Jethro said to him, two things. He said, number one, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to wear the people out. Mm-hmm. This just, that's what I did. Mm. Yeah. How did mm. you begin your healing process, though? I didn't begin it. I didn't begin it. The Lord did it. Um, because I, because, because I'll tell you, when, when rescue ended, all of the normal Christian restorative, although I've never been through a restorative, as many times as I've been sat down, I've never been through a restorative process, but that's another story for another day. But because of that, because of all the embarrassment that I had gone through as a teenager at recovery, sleeping with Sharon, my wife, while all these dudes running around sleeping with everything Mm -hmm. and not getting in trouble, fine. So I had, I had made so many announcements. (laughs) So many, so, so, so many proclamations about my behavior mm. that when, when rescue happened, I couldn't do another restorative team or, or church restorative. Me and Sharon both were saying, you know what? We need to get away. And we got away. And we got away through much resistance. People didn't, you know, they were trying to get me to move to Beverly. I mean, Beverly. I took control. No, Beverly. And Beverly. I, me and Sharon took control of our lives and said, <coughs> you know what we're going to do? We're going to figure it out. And I had to because, because by that point where I was with God, I was, I, 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 and just who I am, mm. I'm like, let me just take space. Because anything that anybody's going to get from me is going to be so girl mm-hmm. that, and I'm, and I'm big and black, right? So when you're big and black and you're passionate about anything, it comes off as you're angry. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just had to pull mm-hmm. back. And the thing that was, you know, and then the thing too is like, this is the thing, Rob. You make poor decisions. Uh, people get upset, people react, people feel the types of ways that they feel. But there's something that the Lord told me when my parents divorced. My parents was divorcing, and I was very angry with my dad. And uh, he had moved away. He had moved to Florida for a little bit. And I remember saying to the Lord really sarcastically, like, yo, I hope he's having a good time. <laughs> and I was under the Holy Spirit rebuke me. But the thing that the Lord said to me is he said, you don't have all the facts, so you can't make an evaluation. The things that people said about me, the ways that people came for me, when, when it was impossible for them to know, not just the fact of my sinfulness, but the aftermath of how we were handling things in the church and all that stuff. Because what I did, once I, once I realized, oh, y'all can't even hear me, you only see me now as a villain. I closed my mouth, I went away, I didn't campaign, I didn't reach out to my friends, I said, you know what? I'm gonna step all the way back. 
because I'm not interested. I'm indefensible because of what I did. So I'm not interested in defending myself. But at the same time, the church does this. It's crazy. Somebody falls into sin, and we act like that person don't got a brain no more. So that person fell into sin, and now they can't even speak to the, the, the next step of their own life. And what I wasn't going to have, what I wasn't going to have is all y'all telling me what I'm about to do when I got these three kids and I got this girl. Y'all telling me where to move, where to live. What, mm. Yo, that wasn't happening. And Sharon well, wasn't happening. You know, that was on my heart to help you through that period when you came through. And I was like, it, it was touching because, again, being a black man, I was like, listen, we don't, black men on a regular don't really talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Now I'm coming, I'm like, yo, I just want to be a brother to this dude. And I'm like, yo, he looked like so many people failed him. And I'm like, I just want to help. I didn't want to judge. I just want to help. And then, you know, it just felt like, you know, I, I wanted mutual, to help. It was a mutual failing. I failed them. Yeah. And they failed me. It was yeah. mutual. It was all of us. But I wanted, I wanted to just be that light and that positive to, to help out and you just right, bring you through that. When I came and I met with you and Pastor Manny, it was a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. I had talked to you all about what had happened mm-hmm. that day. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not a hider. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hide things. Mm-hmm. Jay-Z got this verse where he says, um, where he says, Jay-Z says, um, said, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I'm not perfect. He said, but the way I can sleep at night is I'm always real. Mm-hmm. I'm always real. That's how I sleep at night. Right. For me, that's, I sleep at night because mm-hmm. I'm saying this is what it is. Yeah. Like good, bad, and different, ugly. When I met with y'all, there was different things that the Lord did to just save me in those moments. Because the mm-hmm. anxiety that I went through in 2017, um, I had, I had, I, when people would talk about anxiety, I didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the bouts that I had with anxiety, yo, bro, there was just times when I was just fighting to keep my mind from going crazy. I just, I in my a, house it's at a, night. It's, it's, it's a real reality. I think um, one of the things we talked about depression, we talked about anxiety, we talked about all these things that it's kind of like uh, we're, we're, we're advocates for mental health, we're advocates for yeah. therapy, right? Therapy plus Jesus. A great no doubt, it's a great combination. And all therapy does is it's 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 a it's a conduit. Yeah. We need to voice out the things that are going especially on in men, our especially head. the brothers. We, yeah. we need the environment to do that because it's those voices that are killing us. I didn't understand suicide until I became suicidal. Mm. I could not comprehend mm. in my mind why would anybody want to do that mm. until Amen. your Amen. mind and your rationale says they turn on this you. makes the most sense. Turns on mm. you, this makes the most sense because. If you want to end the pain, the drain, the frustration, you just need to terminate this process. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Three Kings Podcast. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Three Kings Podcast or visit us on the web at his3kings.com. Until next time, let a king be a king. Peace.